The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. I'm Jonathan Capehart. Welcome to Cape Up. Darren Walker is currently the president of the Ford Foundation, but his philanthropic career has put him in the middle of helping to resolve some of the nation's biggest problems, from New Orleans rebuilding after Katrina to the bankruptcy of Detroit. Coronavirus is a totally different disaster. The hobbled response from government will make the role of philanthropy as important as ever. But Walker firmly believes that philanthropy cannot replace government. Let's be very, very clear. We in philanthropy without competent, robust, and informed government cannot be effective in our work. Part of their work is shoring up the nonprofit sector as quickly as possible. Hear Walker talk about what he and other foundations in New York, Chicago, Seattle, and elsewhere are doing to help small nonprofits, restaurant workers, and others reeling from our new stay-at-home reality right now. Darren Walker, thank you very much for coming back to the podcast. I'm happy to be back, Jonathan. So you're, every year you send out a, a New Year's letter, and this, year, this year's letter was entitled How We Move Forward During the Year Ahead. And in it, you decry how we're losing ground on a whole host of issues that democratic values and institutions remain in retreat. That's a quote from the letter. You also say in the letter, quote, this is a time to step up, not check out, a time to re-enlist, re-engage, and reconnect. And you ask a question that is pretty remarkable, given where we are right now. You wrote, quote, what new crisis needs to befall us before we together are spurred to collective action? Is COVID-19 that new crisis that will spur collective action? I hope it is. I hope that out of this horrific calamity, we can emerge a stronger nation, a more empathetic people, a society where we realize that we have a shared destiny that we realize that our future is one future, a future that is dependent on our willingness to act as one, our willingness to engage as one, and our belief in the idea of e pluribus unum. You know, you have been either in your role at Ford or your previous role when you were at uh, the Rockefeller Foundation, you've been a part of many calamities, both Mother Nature created and and man-made. I seem to remember there was the Detroit bankruptcy. There was uh, New Orleans rebuilding after Katrina. Uh, Have you seen anything? like this that we're going through right now? There has never been anything like this virus to uh, hit the world. There has never been a, uh, a calamity of this scale and scope and intensity. 
in every crisis I've been involved in, where there's been some terrible uh, act of God or whatever you want to call it, uh, and, and it, it's usually place-based. In some part of the world, there is some terrible uh, thing, Ebola uh, or a tsunami in Southeast Asia. Um, and so the rest of the world can rush to help because the rest of the world is stable, prosperous, and doing very well, generally speaking. In this case, the entire planet is on edge. The entire globe is impacted by this COVID-19 virus. There is no place on earth where one can seek refuge from this and believe that you won't be impacted. And so the question for us is how do we respond in a circumstance that truly does require that we uh, build a consensus that uh, necessitates a global response, not just a response at the country level, and particularly a response that recognizes that the inequality that we see in the world and in our society will be exacerbated by this coronavirus crisis if we don't, as we design how we get out of this and we work through this, if we aren't paying attention to the inequality that existed before this virus hit us, we're going to actually make things worse for the very people who are most vulnerable and most at risk. I want to get in, into the, a little bit deeper into that in a moment, but as president of the Ford Foundation, correct me if I'm if my memory is failing me here, but you have a major presence in India. And just recently, uh, India went on a national lockdown. We're talking about one point something billion people on lockdown. What, how does that impact the work that Ford does? Well, in a country like India, our work is focused on civil society and strengthening civil society, supporting the rights of women and Dalits, indigenous people. And so those communities are absolutely impacted because these uh, lockdowns uh, basically uh, impact their ability to earn a living. And most of these folks earn a living um, as garbage pickers, as day laborers, people living off of cash. And so they are absolutely impacted. But on the other hand, it's important that uh, India as a nation have a uniform standard way of approaching this. And I think uh, the prime minister has done that. Interestingly, we also have an office in Beijing. So our China office uh, closed in January uh, as a result of uh, the virus hitting Beijing, where we uh, have an office. And um, within days, our office closed. What's very interesting is that this week, our office in Beijing opened and so we've got a reopening of an office and the uh, 10 offices of Ford and other parts of the world are all closed now. So we have this almost uh, this, this reversal. Um, and so in some ways, what we've seen in our office in Beijing may portend our future in that that office was closed for 10 weeks uh, before it was able to be reopened. And we'll see if um, we follow a similar pattern here in the U.S. 
You know, so let's dive into what you said um, just a moment ago about, you know, how we design the response to COVID-19 will determine whether um, the societal issues that countries were dealing with before COVID-19, whether they're exacerbated. And I don't mean this as as a partisan question, but it is it is a question that has been lurking in my mind. I am sort of troubled by the fact that the United States is not in the forefront of leading in terms of responding to COVID-19. Can can the United States, can nations get past this without concerted, driven, fact-based response from leadership? Leadership is essential here. And the uh, importance of leadership has never been more uh, elevated um, and felt at, 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 at any time in my lifetime than this moment we're in. Most certainly the uh, work of global organizations like the WHO uh, is essential and working with them on global strategies and global approaches is the only way we are going to actually um, get on the other side, if you will. Um, I, I don't think it's a secret to say that uh, the U.S. Um, has not sought leadership in many global uh, fora. Um, the traditional uh, seats at the head of the table that we assumed and that we championed uh, global ideas. Um, th- th- this is not a part of uh, who we are today in terms of. Our- and I think um, something we have to really consider, uh, do we want the United States to be a, a global leader, a global organizer, a global convener? Um, I believe we do. I believe it is in our national interest for the U.S. to be engaged in the world and to set a standard and an example of excellence, of democratic participation, uh, of, of colleagueship. Well, how damaging then is it when every day now the, the COVID, the president's task force comes out um, to brief the nation. But the first, the opening of the press conference is the president who is not, and this is me speaking, not showing that leadership that you're talking about, not leading by example, not leading in terms of the information that he's sharing with the nation, um, not leading when it comes to bringing the country together. Can there be an effective response when the person at the very top of our of our of our government and traditionally at the top of the liberal small d democratic order is not participating in the way that you're just describing and in the way that we have seen his predecessors perform in the past i think that uh, without getting into a specific analysis of presidential leadership i think we see and have seen different forms of leadership in this country. 
And I think the current administration is speaking in a way it believes is appropriate and it believes is sufficient to get the job done that it believes it needs to get done, period. And um, I believe that there is uh, an urgency to engage in the world and an urgency to craft a narrative that is a narrative of America as a place that is a place to heal the world, a place that helps the world be better uh, and that helps both the United States um, and importantly, the globe be a healthier and more productive and more sustainable world. Now, I mean, in in normal times, nonprofits and, and philanthropic organizations such as Ford fill in where um, the public sector isn't able to just because of scale or resources. But have you found as a result of COVID-19, particularly in the United States, that um, nonprofits have to fill in the void even more because of the administration doing what it believes is the right course of action, but the folks on the ground in the philanthropic world who are filling in, filling in the holes have to step up even more as a result? First, philanthropy cannot replace government. Let's be very, very clear. We in philanthropy, without competent, robust, and informed government, cannot be effective in our work. Our work in a time like this is to support the nonprofit civil society sector that is a huge part of our economy, over 10% of the American workforce, a major uh, mechanism for government uh, contracts and government resources to reach uh, poor and vulnerable communities, uh, a major uh, part of the arts and culture infrastructure. So we rely uh, on civil society and nonprofits. They are, in fact, foundational to our identity in this country. Having said that, this calamity, the impact of COVID-19 on the nonprofit sector in America is potentially devastating. It's devastating because these organizations depend on a combination of private giving, of revenue from ticket sales, patrons, et cetera, as well as contracts from government at the federal, state, and local level. All of this is at risk now. And for many nonprofits, they don't operate with endowments, with wealthy boards, with operating reserves. They truly are on the precipice. And I'm talking about thousands of organizations. This is not just anecdote. This is serious business. We have an urgent need to address shoring up the nonprofit sector in this country. It is as important as business or any other 
sphere of American life. And so my focus at Ford, our focus here today is on supporting the grantees and our network of the organizations that are make it possible for the Ford Foundation to do its work and ensuring that they are fortified and resilient and ready for the days and weeks and months ahead. But we can only do the work of the days and weeks. We can't do the work of the long-term um, rebuilding. You know, we're in a moment now of survival and we will get to revival. The survival is just how we get through these next three to six months, the emergency grants, the ways in which we modify our giving, uh, going over our uh, traditional budget limits to, to be responsive. But the long-term impact uh, of, of this virus is going to have a devastating uh, blow, be a devastating blow on the balance sheets of so many nonprofits. You totally anticipated the, the next question I was going to ask because, um, sure, at Ford, you have, you're in touch with lots of nonprofits around the country. But just as a New Yorker, you have been in, involved in lots of nonprofits on the, on the local level. I was going to ask you uh, about just how devastating this is. And so let me just move it forward and, and ask you, what happens if the nonprofit sector in communities across the country collapses? Because to my mind, this sort of reminds me in, from a nonprofit perspective of what happened during the Madoff scandal, when all of these nonprofits, particularly in New York, thought that they had money, thought that they had endowments, thought that they were in the clear. And then all of a sudden, at the snap of a finger, it was over. They were out of business. And the impact that had on New York was really quite something. Are we there at that moment, but only on a scale that's even greater? Well, we recently were involved with a number of foundations, the Mellon Foundation, Bloomberg Philanthropies, the New York Community Trust, uh, the Duke Foundation, a number of philanthropies, thinking about how in the New York community, we could respond uh, with an emergency um, strategy. And what we learned was just uh, how dire the situation is in the city. Uh, the number of organizations who have, who reported having less than $10,000 mm. in cash. The number of organizations reporting no endowment, no operating reserves, and the number reporting that they had enough to make payroll for the next month. And that was it. These are organizations who are reeling because, as you know, in New York, all of the spring uh, benefits, galas, fundraisers right. were canceled. These were a major source of resources. And people are worried that the uh, the fiscal year, which ends for most nonprofits on June 30th, um, is going to be just ha huge, huge deficits. So um, it is a very tough time. And the New York philanthropic community is, is incredibly robust. And that makes it possible for us right now. I'm, I'm supporting an effort among a group of philanthropists to raise $20 million dollars for direct cash assistance to restaurant workers, delivery service industry folks 
who live off of cash tips, whose income is completely precarious, and for whom a talk of uh, legislation in Washington is some remote abstract idea. These folks live paycheck to paycheck, and many of them have not received a paycheck in three weeks. And so we have got to rally and mobilize the resources to actually transfer dollars into the pockets of these needy New Yorkers. And I'm, I'm very pleased to see how quickly the New York philanthropic community has responded. Have other philanthropic communities around the country, have you heard of, of similar efforts in, say, Los Angeles or Dallas or Chicago, Miami? Indeed, Jonathan, there are about 50 emergency response funds have been created in the last two weeks. Uh, in New York, we created a $75 million fund in 48 hours. In Chicago, under the a leadership of the Chicago Community Trust, my friend Helene Gale there, they have done an amazing job with the Pritzkers and Crowns and MacArthur Foundation. We're seeing the same thing in Seattle, in the Bay Area. Um, I was just this morning on the phone with an L.A. philanthropist who wants to uh, create a fund there for the arts. So there is a, a, absolutely a movement. And this is one of the great things about this country. Uh, there are things about this country that make me... Uh, that, that enrage me sometimes, like our criminal justice system. And then there are things that uh, make me, uh, inspire me. And I think I've been inspired by just the level of generosity and the hunger of people who want to help. It's really inspiring. Since you brought up criminal justice, um, can we talk about Rikers Island? Because if I remember correctly, you were on a task force that Mayor de Blasio um, set up to talk about closing Rikers Island, which is which is a, a jail on an island, just you know, part of New York City, um, where people go to await, await trial, await charging. And there was always a movement to close it. But now because of COVID-19, there's a real push to get people released from Rikers and put to home confinement because they are at risk of contracting contracting and spreading this virus. Do you have where are things on on the closing of Rikers? Well, specifically the issue that is of most urgent in need of most urgent attention is the a crisis uh, in the criminal justice system that COVID-19 is going to unleash. Uh, because these are not facilities where social kinds of protocol that the CDC and public health experts uh, advise can be adhered to. So we are going to see, and we've already been uh, warned by uh, the experts in public health, that we are going to see uh, a major, major crisis. So following up on, on those facts, um, a group of foundation leaders, um, including myself, um, submitted uh, a, a request to Governor Cuomo yesterday asking him to please uh, respectfully consider that there are populations at Rikers and in the state penitentiary system who could safely uh, be released and return uh, to their communities and reduce uh, the uh, overcrowding that we have in, in some of our facilities uh, and the density that actually works against reducing um, the, the virus. And we're hopeful that the governor 
will um, will respond and 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 recognize that it is actually uh, in the interest of public health to release uh, some of these populations um, so that they can return uh, to their communities and in doing so uh, reduce the likelihood of spread of the COVID-19 virus. And that's a letter that you sent on March 26th. And I failed to mention in, in asking the question that I had spoken to Holly Harris, who's the president and executive director of Justice Action Network, and Topeka Sam, who's the co-founder and senior advisor for New Yorkers United for Justice, to talk specifically about, about this issue. And Holly Harris had sent a, a letter to President Trump on, on March 24th. And at the time that we talked, they had not heard. She had not heard from the administration. But I want to end the, this this interview with just a simple question, Darren. Um, if you were not president of the Ford Foundation, but president of the United States right now, what's the and given the experience you have had with all kinds of disasters? What are the what's the one thing you you would be doing to ensure that the nation was well it's too late to be prepared for COVID-19 but to get to get it under control I would simply want to act based on the facts based on the advice of experts and people who know best people who have the technical knowledge and people who have the experience to guide my decisions towards the shared objective of winning the war on this virus. Um, And so that would be the thing I would do. I am not uh, privileged enough and nor am I qualified to be president of the United States But I do believe that there is an opportunity here for um, this nation to be better than it was before March 1st, to be stronger than it was before this calamity was visited upon us. And the question is, will our leadership help us get there? Darren Walker president of the Ford Foundation. Thank you very much for coming back to the podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And how about doing me a huge favor? Subscribe, rate, and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ. Capehart J.